Thank you, guys. And you may have to work my mic. I can be pretty loud, so um, it's good to be back here with you guys. I've got so much in my heart right now, I'm trying to figure out where to put it all. Um, it's funny when you get around prophetic people and they get up here and start seeing, sharing things they're seeing. I had one thing planned tonight, thank you, and uh, as Pastor Brent was talking and seeing and releasing, it was just very evident real quick that I, some other things just started to spring up in my heart. A little bit unusual, last time I was here, we spent most of the entire weekend talking about the goodness of God, the Father's heart. He sees you the same way he sees his son, was really the theme of the last time I was here. And there's going to be a lot of that this weekend as well, that's my life message. Um, But tonight's going to be a little bit different. It's going to be very different. Tonight's going to be very different. Pastor, good to see you. It's going to be very different. Um, I'm going to spend about the first few minutes talking about revival. But what we're going to get to tonight that I really feel like is going to be a moment of challenge and confrontation of self-examination in all of our hearts. I'm going to be talking to you about the sin of Judas. The sin of Judas. I want to, not something you ever hear really preached on. And I promise you, you've never heard it this way. My background uh, in just some of my history has been uh, a student of revival, much like this church. I have... Uh, been blessed to be a part of many major moves of God over the years and was really born in revival. That's the way I like to describe it. For years when my wife and I pastored in Florida, our church got to experience a pure expression of an outpouring of the Spirit that was phenomenal. Uh, We saw on average two to three hundred brand new converts every single weekend. And uh, phenomenal, phenomenal time in the presence of God and, and watching that happen and transpire. We would watch people come off the streets that were alcoholics and drunks and lay in the floor and weep and cry and instantly sober up. We watched meth addicts. We uh, ended up having to start a program in the, during this time where we were watching people get radically saved and they had nowhere to go. And they were coming off drugs and so we were blessed to be able to get a hold of two massive facilities that we would just let them live in. And it was a house of revival that we ended up staffing and, and uh, putting people through classes and discipleship and really letting people experience what it's like to live not just a Sunday morning version of Christianity, but something that they can experience an awakening in their heart every single day of their life. And uh, it was phenomenal. And, and it always causes my heart to want more. But what happened in that season was very interesting. Um, I was being challenged by the Lord. He was exposing a sin in my heart that I didn't realize was there. And it was that revival was becoming an idol. It was becoming an idol. That Jesus was actually becoming a means to an end. Jesus the means and the goal revival. When in all actuality, that's backwards. Jesus is the end. Jesus plus nothing. Jesus is the center. He's not our genie in a bottle that we get to experience some life of revival or anything that's in our heart to actually manifest. And the Lord really started to put pressure on this idolatry of revival in my heart. 
and, and the meeting when I say, because when I say revival, I know that there's probably everyone would give a different description of what that looks like or what that means. And most of us have a meeting definition, which is not the right definition. He exposed the sin and he also started to give me real language of what pure revival is. And pure revival is the manifestation of the fullness of Jesus. During this time, I started to learn really the difference of between the gospel of salvation and the Lord started to teach me this uh, subject about the gospel of the kingdom during all of this in my uh, just journey of being transformed in my heart. I started to really see Jesus didn't come preaching the gospel of salvation. He came to preach the gospel of the kingdom. The gospel of the kingdom. Anytime in scripture you see Jesus talking about the kingdom, he's usually not referring to heaven when you die. And we've got to get this revelation because revelation actually lives right in between seemingly two contradicting, contradicting ideas. That's usually where revelation lives, right there. And most of the time when I used to read my Bible, I was brought up in a, in a, in a, in a denominational setting where, you know, they handed me the Bible and the Left Behind series. <laughs> I don't know nothing about that, do you? And it created this paradigm as I read the scripture of everything being about this point in my life when I die and I get to experience glory on that side. But I had to struggle and suffer and we'd sing songs like, you know, uh, Dirty, yeah, dirty, wretched sinners. <laughs> I'll fly away, oh glory. When I die, hallelujah, by and by. Got to live in hell on earth, but one day it's going to be good. And this theology that was imprinted in my early walk was a theology that was going to experience the goodness of God one day, but not thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth right now. And I started to re read the scriptures and go back and all it really become just deconstruct myself on how I viewed the Father, how I viewed the kingdom. And I started to have to read the scriptures in a way where he, Jesus is not talking about one day, he's talking about now. Anytime in scripture you see Jesus talking about the kingdom, I should say the majority of time, he's referring to a reality realm that's right here in this life. So I want to build off this thought. What if revival is not the end? What if revival is the seed or the doorway that God is wanting us to step into that is the door into what we call the kingdom? What if revival is the very beginning? It's the entry point into something greater called the kingdom realm of God. What if revival that we've been waiting as the end goal is actually just kindergarten, first grade, elementary, the door hinge that brings us into the land called the kingdom? Again, in modern charismatic culture, we look intend to look at revival as the end and final re result, but I believe it's just the beginning. Let's hold that thought for just a bit because I want to just kind of paint a picture here before we get to this uh, incredible story of the life of Judas. Have you ever read in the Bible where it says, ask me anything in my name, and if you believe, it shall be done. It's actually John 14, 14. You ever read that? There's a tension there, isn't there? 
There's a tension with that scripture. Huge tension. Revelation rests and lives in the land between two seemingly contradicting ideas. There's a tension there. Ask anything, he said. Anything in my name, and it'll be done. How many of you have asked something in his name, and you're still waiting to see it done? How many of you have asked something in his name, and it actually did not happen? So what was Jesus saying? I think that we've taken this portion of Scripture and we've, we've turned that ask anything in my name as an addendum at the end of a prayer. We bless our food and how do we do it? We finish, exclamation point, in Jesus' name. Lord, bless our sister. We bless her in Jesus' name, right? Like, like it's the addendum at the end of the prayer that if, almost like it's, sacred and that if you don't say it the prayer is not valid and if I say it with authority maybe it'll happen if I say it with power and I've fasted for seven days maybe it'll happen no 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 he said if you ask anything in my name it shall be done so what does it mean then if we have not seen it yet I really believe this I believe it's a dimension of the kingdom that many people haven't stepped into it's called the in him dimension I don't think Jesus was referring to using his name at the end of your prayer. It wasn't an addendum at the end of a prayer. It was actually a position that you live from. When you are in me and I'm in you, then you can ask anything because you're in my name. You are cloaked in the garment of who I am and you can pray from that posture and things happen. Things move. Things shift. But because there's many of us that love God, we'll go to heaven when we die, but don't live our lives in Him, in the in Him dimension. Let me just take it a step further and just mess with some people because I, I love to do that from time to time. Jesus said this. He said, in my Father's house are many mansions. I go to a prepare a place for you. We've heard that. What if that's not talking about just a mansion that you get to experience in glory in heaven one day? Because as my theology is shifting so much, I don't even know about living in heaven. I think that earth is going to be our home. And we're going to occupy right here. What if the place that he's preparing in his father's house, there's many mansions. What if he's talking about gates and doors, different dimensions in him, different places that you get in his heart, different dimensions of in the kingdom that he's preparing a place for? Good question to ask. Jesus didn't give us John 14, 14 to tease us. He gave this to us as a promise. Bill Johnson says this. He says, can't come to Winworth without quote, quoting Bill Johnson, so won't be a legitimate service. <laughs> Bill Johnson says this. Many people never experience answered prayers because they pray for things they already possess. Therefore, they never enter into what Jesus said, enter into the joy of prayer. And prayer is not joyful for many people because we're praying for things that he's already given us. Holy Spirit, come. He's been here 2,000 years. Okay, let's pause. We're going to move around a little bit. Because I've got I to build all this. Just I want to just get you into the, the way of thinking in the kingdom before we really get to the meat of this. I found that in the years that I've pastored, uh, it's very 
similar to uh, the Bible, when you see just different types of people that were around Jesus. Four types of people that you would find around Jesus. Number one, the critic. Number two, the crowd. Number three, the follower. Number four, the disciple. The critic, the crowd, the follower, the disciple. Four types of people that were always around Jesus and they're present still today. Critic, crowd, follower, disciple. Critic is the one that usually is there to only find fault. It's the Pharisees actually for Jesus. People that were there to find fault. No matter what he did, they're going to find fault with it. It's the critic. Number two, the crowd. You would always see the crowd. The crowd was usually the ones that were looking to be entertained. They loved the miracles. They loved Jesus feeding them when they didn't have any food. They loved the fish and loaves. They loved what Jesus can do to bless them. This is the crowd. How many of you know a crowd does not mean church? Just because you have a crowd doesn't mean you have a church. And the crowd was always present following Jesus, looking for what they can get from him. Then you would have the follower. You would have followers of Jesus. These are the ones that would want to be ministered to, but would never really enter into the cost of discipleship. They, they, they love the ministry of Jesus. They, they love getting hands laid on them. They love, they love following him and receiving his teachings because it makes them feel good. They feel empowered about their life, but they never really took it to the next step. And friend, I've got to just be honest with you. I think this is really where most of North America is, in the crowd. In the crowd. Show up on Sunday, bless me, pastor, pray for me. A paradigm that says the church is present to meet the needs of the people, which is not the definition of the church. The church does not exist to meet needs of people. Do they do that? Yes, it's secondary, not primary. The church is meant to minister to the Lord and equip the saints for the work of the ministry. Most people, though, we come because we want our needs met. And if you don't meet my needs, I'll go find another fellowship to join. And if they meet my needs better, and they meet my children's needs better, and they've got a better children's program, well, I'm going to uproot my family, and I'm going to join that church because it has a nicer parking lot, better tasting coffee, sweeter donuts. And friend, that is not Christianity that Jesus paid the price for. I tell people all the time, if you're looking for a church because it makes you comfortable, you're in the wrong spot. You're in the wrong spot. Find something that challenges you. Find something that equips you. Find a man of God, a woman of God, and serve. And don't just be content with being a part of the crowd just to get blessed. No, be a blessing. You can only be a blessing when you actually enter into what I call discipleship, what the Bible calls discipleship. Ones that are willing to pay the price and will eventually become themselves a leader in the earth. Jesus said this statement, you know, Pastor Jesus. He, he was not concerned about making it simple, making it plain, making it four or five different points so that everybody can go home with their notes and understand. No, Jesus would actually try to pe preach to people and confuse them. And what it would do is it would separate the crowd from the disciple. It's so Jesus' teaching style was so different from ours today. I'm going to give seven points. Jesus would just show up, thousands of people present. He'd say, oh yeah, by the way, if you don't eat my flesh and drink my blood, you can have no part of this kingdom. Walks away. The disciples are scratching their head. Jesus, your ministry has just taken off. 
Come on, don't you want to come back out on this stage and give a little bit of explanation as to what you meant right there? They're leaving by the thousands. Jesus is not concerned, looks at them and says, are you going to go too? Pastor Jesus, you know. Jesus was not concerned with the crowd. He was looking to transform the crowd and pick out the one. I really feel like tonight, I understand that a message like this is a little bit in your face. We haven't even gotten to the good stuff yet. But I feel like tonight I'm looking for the one. I feel like I came to Abbotsford, Langley region to find the one in the crowd that says, I'm tired of living lukewarm. I'm tired of serving a plastic form of Christianity. I'm tired of living on the fringes. I want to enter into something called the realm of the kingdom. I want to know his face. I want to know this man, Jesus, deeper. Something burning on the inside of you tonight. Come on, there's going to be an awakening in someone. To enter, watch this, the kingdom, to enter into the kingdom, not heaven when you die, the realm of the kingdom. Salvation is free. That's heaven when you die. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Free gift. He didn't die for you. He died as you. He bought you with the price free. You are free. That's salvation. The kingdom is a little bit different. There are people that bump up against the realm of the kingdom their entire life, but never really enter into it. Bump up against it, but never enter into it. Bump up against it. Places where the veil is thin, but never really enter into it. Good Christians that will go to heaven when they die, but there's something more than that, and that's who I'm looking for tonight. You're a vessel that is called to bring heaven to earth, not just get to heaven one day. There's many different keys to the kingdom. Jesus changed Simon's name to Peter, gave him keys, plural. I believe this is, and he called them, keys to the kingdom. He said, I'm giving you keys, plural, to the kingdom. I believe there's many keys that we can talk about. I'm not going to spend too much time talking about them, but I believe these keys are so important to get through and unlock different dimensions of the Spirit for us. One is intimacy. That's a key. How many of you know? Intimacy with the Lord, it's a key. The the Bible calls it the key of Dahavid, the key of David. It's the key of intimacy. Hunger is a key to the kingdom. Hunger. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Seeing God appropriately as good is a key to the kingdom. Continual self-reflection and saying, God, search me, is what separates the gospel of the kingdom from the gospel of salvation. If all you settle for is salvation, self-evaluation is never really necessary. But I believe this, if you're going to become a kingdom individual, it's, oh God, Search my heart. It's what Bob Jones used to say. Tears are good. Gets the witchcraft out of your eyes. Oh God, search my heart. Oh God, cleanse my eyes. That's a person of the kingdom. So revival is a seed or a doorway to the kingdom. Why? Because revival is not a meeting. It's not goosebumps. 
It's an awakening to live in the in him dimension. Are we going to see revival? Yes, I believe we're seeing it. I believe the seeds of revival are present in this room right now. They're present in this room right now. So many pe people have a hard time with this. Well, what do you mean? There's not thousands of people here. There's not a line around the building. It doesn't matter. There was only 120 in the upper room. And Peter said, this is that. We're going to see it. We're going to see it grow. We're going to see it more. But more importantly, the seed of it is to help us usher in through the gates of the kingdom. In my travels, I've found that some of the hottest spots on the planet where veil, the veil is thin, so to speak, are found where Christians have not sold themselves to a form of godliness denying the power thereof. How many of you know the veil was not that thin in Jesus' hometown? He couldn't heal people because of doubt and unbelief and familiarity. The veil was thick. It wasn't thin there. Other places Jesus, Jesus went, miracles would pop everywhere. Why? The kingdom realm was available because of their heart posture towards the king. I want the veil to be thin here in Langley. How about you? What if a group of people meeting on a Friday night at Windward are key holders to this region that says, you know what, we are key holders to make sure the veil is thin in this portion, this region of British Columbia. What if there's some key holders that say, I am here in this region by divine appointment from heaven, and I'm a key holder to make sure that when people walk, not just in this building, but in this city, it's a thin region where people get saved easy. What if this was the easiest city for people to get saved, born again, in all of Canada? What if it was the easiest place for people to get healed? What if it was the easiest place for people to experience the goodness of God, to have the revelation of beloved identity? What if you saw yourself as a key holder for this land? The Bible teaches that there's a way that seems right to man that leads to death. This isn't talking about sin. There's a way that seems right to man that leads to death. This is not talking about sin. Sin never seemed right. You get that little feeling deep down in your stomach. You know? Even from a young age, I can remember getting in trouble, doing stuff that I should not have been doing, and I knew it was wrong. You can feel it because the law is written on your heart. It says that there's a way that seems right unto man but leads unto death. I believe this is talking about religion. Dead, dry, religion. Religion seems right, but leads to death. This is why there's 41,000 denominations in the earth. Dead, dry religion. Religion knowing about God, but not really knowing who God is. Rallying around belief systems, structures. Well, well you got to believe the however many fundamental truths to be a part of our fellowship. And if you don't agree to all of them, then you can't be a part of our fellowship. Religion. Rallying around everything but Jesus. One of the things that we try to practice in our fellowship is, you take the, the majority of my leadership team and we have different eschatology views. I've got pre-trib people on my staff, post-trib. They're wrong, but they're on my staff. But those things don't divide us. I've got people on my staff that believe the tithe is for today and the others that believe the tithe is not. That doesn't divide us. 
Because everything centers around a man, not a theology. Actually, let me take another Bill Johnson quote. You know this one. Jesus Christ is perfect theology. Religion is knowing about Jesus, but not knowing him intimately. And my, one of my greatest concerns all over the world, people know about him, but do not know who he really is. Greater than that, my greatest concern is, and this is really what struck my heart tonight when you started getting up talking about throwing down our crowns, is that leaders in the church know about Jesus, but many do not know him intimately. It's a scary thing that we can be in a room where God is moving, where God is touching lives. It's a scary thing that we can be in a room where God is moving powerfully and still miss out on the fullness of God for our lives. It's a scary thing that God could be touching someone sitting right next to us, but our heart is so far away from him. We sing songs in the church. Maybe you do it here. If you do, it's not a knock because we do it too. And I just tell my worship team how incorrect their theology is, but it's uh, when you walk into the room, everything changes. It's a great song, great concept, but it's, it's not correct. Because he goes many places and things stay the same. When he comes into the room, everything has the potential to change. Based on our heart response to open up to receive the love of God. He went many places and people stayed the same. He went in many cities and they rejected him. His presence, the presence of the Messiah was in many rooms and people's hearts got even harder than they were before they came into the room. It's a scary thing that we can be in a room like this where God is moving powerfully and still miss out on the fullness of his lives. I'm not going to take too long. I'm getting ready to give you a tragic story of a man named Judas. And it's going to be an opportunity tonight where I believe the word that kind of shifted all this for me, for us to not see ourselves as these great pioneering men of God, women of God, but we see ourselves as sons and daughters, but in humility, that we are poor in spirit and in need of Jesus working through our lives. Jesus does not need you with a Superman cape on. Luke chapter 6, 12 through 16 Luke 6, 12 through 16, if you can throw that up there, I'm sorry, I know I didn't give it to you, but you just roll with me. Luke 6, 12 through 16 in the New King James says this, in the New King James it says, now it came to pass in those days that he went out to the mountain to pray and continued all night in prayer to God. And when it was day, he called his disciples to himself. And from them he chose twelve, whom he also named apostles. Simon, whom he also named Peter, and Andrew his brother, James and John, Philip and Bartholomew, Matthew and Thomas, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the zealot, Judas the son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. Let me just give you the context of this. Jesus does not have a committee to appoint his apostles. He spends all night in a solitude, all night prayer meeting with him and the Father. 
He's not looking for talent. He's not looking for gifting. He's not looking for the most eloquent speaker. He is looking to do what the Father shows him. Jesus said, I do nothing unless I see my Father in heaven do it first. We got to get a hold of that foundational principle of, of Jesus' leadership. Jesus did nothing. He was okay to not do anything until he saw the Father do it first. And here he is praying all night and the Father shows him 12, and this is what he says. He says he chose 12, watch this, who he also named his apostles. Think about this. Judas was an apostle. Judas had an apostolic the first foundational apostolic group of leaders that the planet has ever seen, and Judas has got the first fruits of that oil. And it wasn't because of his talent, and it wasn't because of his good charisma, it was because Jesus spent all night with the Father, and he said, this is an apostle that I am appointing to the earth. Judas is, in, is one of them. Judas was not just a traitor. Judas was not just a disciple. Judas was an apostle, a legitimate apostle. I'm not one of those fake apostles that got 12 people in their church and nine of them are family members and they got business cards that say they're an apostle. I mean a real, legitimate apostle. It's not the storefront that says Church of the International, International Church to the Nations. No, like a real apostle. You got to get this. Not just a traitor, not just a disciple, an apostle. What this tells me is proximity to Jesus is not enough. What this tells me is that proximity to Jesus is not enough. Judas would have spent Nights beside Jesus, sleeping on mats beside Jesus. Next to the very Son of God, Judas would have been there hearing Jesus pray, waking up, communing with the Father. Hearing, could you imagine like what it would be like to hear Jesus pray? Not just that, hearing the teachings of Jesus, Jesus preaching Jesus. He would have heard his intimate words, his intimate thoughts, words that have never been recorded, that are, that are permitted for even us in the church to hear. Judas would have sat there and heard things that eye had not seen and ear had not heard, neither has it entered into the hearts of man. And Judas would have had a front row seat as he sat at dinner tables with him in fellowship regularly, daily. Have you ever been a part of a community where your hearts were so knit together that you did life together? Like all the time. And you knew the people that were around you. That's how they would have known Judas. Proximity is not enough is what this teaches me. It also teaches me that sacrifice is not enough. If you would have asked any one of those disciples the question, hey man, hey Peter, let me talk to you for a minute. I'm kind of concerned about Judas. Do you really think he's given it all up to follow this man? Peter would have looked at you in the eyes and said, no different than all of us. He's left his career. He's left his family. He's left his money. 
He has forsaken everything to go on this journey with this man we call the Messiah. Of course he has laid his life down. If you would have asked Judas himself, yes, I have given up everything. I've given up a successful career. I've walked away from it all to follow this man. It teaches me that sacrifice is not enough. You know what else it teaches me? It teaches me that seeing miracles is not enough. I hear this all the time from our younger generation. If I could just see miracles, I'll have more faith. If God would just do this, I'll believe. Judas would have been right there when the widow's son in Nain was raised out of the coffin and presented back to her mother alive. He would have been right there when blind Bartimaeus, screaming and shouting, taking off his beggar's robe, walking to Jesus, getting brand new eyes. He would have been there when lepers were cleansed. He was there when Peter walked on water and Jesus called him out. He would have been there when fish and loaves were multiplied. He would have been there when, when num- numerous thousands of miracles took place. Lame walked. Dead was raised. Judas was right there. What this teaches me is it's not about proximity. It's not about sacrifice. It's not about miracles. What it teaches me is it's about not being for sale. What it teaches me is about not being for sale. And Judas had a price. He had a price. And I'm going to tell you, if it could happen to an apostle in that day that Jesus oiled with an apostolic anointing, friend, it causes an awakening in our heart to say, you know what? Search my heart because if it can happen to him, God, I want to make sure that my heart is rooted and grounded in your love, that nothing can move me, nothing can shake me, that I don't have a 20 pieces of silver. Friend, I'm looking for the one. What's your 20 pieces of silver? Let's, let's ask ourselves that question, and let's lay that down tonight. It's about not being for sale by yielding to what I call professional Christianity. The sin of Judas was not greed. The sin of Judas was not the love of money. The sin of Judas was not the lust for power. The sin of Judas was being that close in proximity to the Son of God and not be able to fully recognize His worth. It's a scary thing to be in a place where God is moving and not be able to recognize his worth. Jesus walks by a tree, looks for fruit on the tree. There's no fruit on the tree, so he curses it. Walks back by the next day, the tree is completely withered. Theologians will tell you that that tree was not even supposed to produce fruit because it wasn't the season for fruit. So why would Jesus curse the tree? I believe it shows us a very important picture that it should be impossible to be that close to his presence and not produce supernatural fruit. The sin of Judas... It was not greed. It was not the love of money. It was not lust for power. It was being that close in proximity to the Son of God and not be able to recognize his full worth. An incredible opportunity Judas had. John 12, 1 through 7. John 12, 1 through 7 says this. And I want you to not hear, don't, do not hear what I'm not saying tonight. And I'm going to talk about this in just a minute so that you don't confuse this with legalistic works. 
This is not legalistic works. This is supernatural opening your heart and allowing the grace of God to touch your heart and to keep you. John 12, 1 through 7 says this, Then six days before the Passover, John 12, 1 through 7, Then six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus was who had been dead, whom he had raised from the dead. There they made him a supper, and Martha served. And again, that's John 12, 1 through 7. There they made him a supper, and Martha served, but Lazarus was one of those who sat at the table with him. Then Mary took a pound of very costly oil of spikenard, anointed the feet of Jesus, and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the oil. Oh, I love that. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, who would betray him, said, Why was this fragrant oil not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? This he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the money box. And he used to take what was put in it, but Jesus said, let her alone. She has kept this for the day of my burial. A couple things happening here. Judas is looking at the woman, what she's doing, instead of looking at who the attention is on, which should have been Jesus, the one she's doing it for. Judas fell into that trap that many of us can slip into, religion without relationship, and by definition, I call that professional Christianity. God deliver us from professional Christianity. You know what that is? I can tell you what that is. I have a gifting, a calling. It's without repentance, meaning this. I can be living in sin, and my gifting and calling will still work. I think some of you have seen that. Why? Why does God allow that? Because the giftings and callings are without repentance, meaning you can move in a gifting and a calling in an anointing without having to repent. It still will flow out of your life and still have impact and still have fruit and still be able to touch the world and still be able to do great things. And this is what we would call professional Christianity. You have become a pro at the works, but your heart is still far from him. I can get up here and not spend time with the Lord for six months And not one person in here, unless you had incredible discernment, would never know it. You would never know it. That's scary. That is what I think more than anything right now. Again, revelation lives in the land between two seemingly contradicting ideas. Right now, I believe we need the message. He sees you the way he sees his son. But it also contradicts the whole message of the fear of the Lord. And we need both. We need the fear of God in this nation again, friend. The genuine fear of the Lord. Understanding it's married with. He sees me the same way he sees his son. I can boldly approach the throne of grace without fear of punishment or exile, but I still have a weighty fear of Almighty Abba in my heart that keeps me reverent in His presence. It keeps me reverent for the things that are holy. It keeps me reverent when I'm ministering. It keeps me reverent when I'm praying, reverent when I'm worshiping, but yet I still stand boldly before the throne of grace knowing that I'm a son and He sees me the same way He sees Jesus. God, deliver us from professional Christianity. God, search our hearts tonight and expose any seed or form of that and uproot it out of our lives. God, we want to know you deep. Judas fell into the trap 
of professional Christianity. When you're not a professional, your worship becomes radical and not performance driven. Becomes authentic. It's not performance driven. Professional religion is an infection and it feels good to the flesh when your heart is not burning for Jesus. When you're still for sale, you'll look to the religious system to bring false comfort to your life all to make up for the fact that you know deep down you're still for sale. I can prove it to you through the life of Judas. Matthew chapter 26. You, you, you with me back there in the sound booth? Matthew 26, 14 and 15. There we go. Hallelujah. Matthew 26, 14. Then one of the twelve, called Judas Iscariot, went to... Who? Judas is going to a system of religion? He's going to a system that he knows is full of religious tradition. No power. He doesn't go to the murderer on the street corner and say, hey man, I got, got some silver for you. Why don't you take this guy Jesus out? He doesn't do that. Why? Because that would be too exposing of his heart. He goes to a religious system to bring false comfort to him because he knows he's for sale but he still needs comfort in his life that there might be a chance that he's still right. Went to the chief priest and said, what are you willing to give me if I deliver him to you? And they counted out to him 30 pieces of silver. Can I tell you, the enemy will give you whatever it takes to get you to give up Jesus. He'll give you money. He'll give you fame. Whatever it takes. We were talking about this at lunch. There's a, a young worship leader that I know that has just fallen into some, some very bad stuff and he got elevated very quickly into the public spotlight and we're talking about why this stuff happens in the church because he'll give you fame if that's what it'll take to cause you to lay down your faithfulness to the Lord. He'll give you money. He'll give you whatever it takes. How I maintain in my life this genuine pursuit, hunger, intimacy for the Lord, a couple things I'll give you. Number one, I like to go back and remember what he saved me from. What has he done in your life, friend? What has he saved you from? Who were you before you met him? Number two, I want to pay attention to the scriptures that say, if you love the world, then the love of the Father is not in you. I want to divorce myself from everything the world has to offer me. We don't hear this stuff talked about in church anymore. We, we, don't, we don't hear preaching like this much. The reason why, we want, we want people to come back next Sunday. We don't want to challenge. We don't want to, we don't want to you know, correct and confront. No, but Jesus, he, he talked about loving not the world. If you love the world, the love of the Father is not in you. Number three, I, I want to learn to always worship with a pure heart without any form of distraction. I want, I want my worship to be this way. One of the things we're going to in our church right now with all of our worship leaders, and Nikki is helping cultivate this because on Sundays, a lot of times you're spending time pulling people into the presence of the Lord. 
But what you lose is the vertical actual worship from the platform that is about the one thing. Not trying to pull people into, but going this way. And so what we're doing in our culture is carving out times where it doesn't matter who shows up. We're not trying to pull you into anything. You can jump on or you can jump off. We're worshiping vertical, and it's not songs about blessing you. It's not songs about how you feel. It's songs about you are holy. You are mighty in battle. Beside you there is no other. A thousand fall at my side and 10,000 at my right hand, but it won't touch my dwelling because you are good. You are holy. You are amazing. You are Jehovah Jireh. You are Jehovah Nisi. And it's conversation to him, not pulling people into. I want my worship to be pure. Not with my needs list when I come into his presence. Number four, you know how you can... Maintain this, stay connected to legitimate spiritual fathers and mothers. Stay connected, joined. I've been walking with my spiritual fathers for close to 20 years. And I have had multiple times that I could have let my offense cause me to walk away. No different than these men with Jesus. I'm sure at the Last Supper, when they were sitting there, Jesus before all this happens, they're asking the question, was Jesus reveals who this traitor is. He says, one of you is a, one of you is a traitor. Could you imagine three and a half years of a deep covenantal relationship with 12, the 12? How awkward would that statement be? Like Pastor Brent coming in here with his leadership team. One of you is a devil. One of you is a traitor. <laughs> over dinner, over a meal. Like, you're at his house. You're not even here. You're sitting down in his living room. Things are going great until he just opens my mouth. One of you is a devil. I really don't think the church could handle Pastor Jesus. Like Jesus does this with Peter. Peter's trying to convince him that the cross is not something he should pursue in his life. You know, it's not good for your future. You know, there's probably a better way. Jesus turns to him, and he doesn't pull him aside and say, Peter, come here, buddy. I need to talk to you, man. You know what? I, I know you probably really didn't mean that. And I don't really mean to be harsh, and I didn't want to do this in front of everybody because I want to really protect your heart, you know, and I want to make sure that your heart, you feel, I want to make sure you feel safe. You know, safe is this big word today. You got to feel safe, and I want to make sure you feel safe. And, and, and so I'm not going to say this in front of everyone because I know that would violate your safety. And, and, and you know, so... So I just really want to talk to you about this. You know, what you said, you know, I don't really want to be brash, but it kind of had some like, you know, some roots of, you know, some stuff I think the devil might say. No, he didn't say it like that. He looks at Peter and says, get behind me, Satan. <laughs> We're not ready for Pastor Jesus. The Last Supper, Jesus makes this statement, one of you is a devil. And I can imagine the awkwardness. I can imagine the confusion. I can imagine what's going on in all of their hearts and minds. And all of them were very confused because they start asking each other the question, hey, who's he talking about? I don't know. I hope it's not me. I hope it's not me either. What do you think? I don't know. This conversation quietly all around the dinner table starts going until one of them says this. Hey, I got 
Let's ask John. John wasn't even involved in the conversation. The Bible says his head was laid on the breast where the heart beats of Jesus. He's so in tune with Jesus' heartbeat, he's not even concerned with what's going on with the others. And one by one they whisper, Hey, ask, ask John. Hey, ask John. Makes it all the way down to him. Hey, John, who's Jesus talking about? John's probably thinking, oh, guys. Hey, Jesus, who are you talking about? Jesus doesn't reveal it to everyone, but he reveals it to John. That's the one that dips in his hand with the bread and the bowl the same time I do. You know, I love all my kids the same. Hopefully you do too. There's one child that I have that knows more about my heart than the rest. I love them all the same, but there's one that knows me more than the other two do. You want to know why that is? She will get up in daddy's lap. She's 13. And she will ask me things about my day. She'll ask me things about what I see in the future. What are my dreams? What are my likes, dislikes? What do you think about this kind of food, Dad? Conversations that a 13-year-old just normally doesn't ask her. Ask Dad. My other two love them exactly the same. And they know me, but not as deep. Is one favored more than the other? No. One just postures themselves in a different way than the others do, which means they, she finds out different secrets more about my heart than the others have access. The others have the access. They just don't posture themselves. And here's John posturing himself. All apostles, all apostolic leaders. John's apostolic grace was no different than Judas's. The same anointing. The same spirit that raised Christ Jesus from the dead is quickening their mortal body. They've got an anointing to cast out devils. They have an anointing to heal the sick and raise the dead. Both of these men have the same anointing coming from the Messiah that spent a night in, on a mountain with the Father that released apostolic grace over both of them. But one, his heart has sold out to professional Christianity and the other sits in a seat called intimacy and rests his ear on the beloved's chest. One chose to stay connected. You know what I found today in Pastor Brent? I know that the other pastors would probably agree with this statement. I've found that the longer I do this and the longer that I'm in leadership and people come wanting to be um, mentored, you know, one of the things that I'm finding is people aren't really looking to be fathered. They're looking to be discovered. They don't want a spiritual father. They want a talent scout. The kingdom of God is not American Idol. And some people will only say yes if it means a bigger stage, bigger crowd. What if you've only got 12? Will you still stay faithful? I'm telling you, the need right now in the earth for legitimate spiritual fathers and mothers connecting to sons and daughters is greater than any other time in history. 
I can fix every problem in Canada if I put a legitimate father in every home. Let me rephrase that. A present legitimate father in every home. I can fix, every, I can fi I can fix poverty. I could fix depression. I could fix suicide. I could fix every problem in this nation if I had a legitimate father in every home that was present. And because there's not, and I believe prophetically Malachi picked up on that, that the Lord's not going to be able to even come unless the hearts of the fathers are turned to the sons and the sons to the fathers. And he talks about this in context with the spirit of Elijah. Why not Abraham? Abraham's known for his fathering. Why not Isaac? Why not Jacob? Elijah, there's no biblical precedent that he even had children. But he uses the spirit of Elijah. Why? Because he's talking about spiritual fathering. He's talking about somebody having a voice in your life. This is why I love Kevin's dynamic with Pastor Brent. Because it's rare. Because most people today are looking for the next opportunity, the next open door, the greater thing. I'm going to tell you, when God finds someone that stays faithful, he will trust you with the door. He will trust you with the crowd. He will trust you. Number five, I like to call this keeping my eyes on the God of the Bible and not the God of modern North America. You know, Jesus talked about this, false Christs. Jesus said many false Christs would arise. Um, you know, this antichrist spirit today is not anti-Jesus. I think I touched on this last time I was here. Antichrist does not mean anti-Jesus. There's a lot of people that are anti-Christ that are pro-Jesus. They got the sticker on the back of their car, the little fish sticker, Jesus loves you, but they're anti-Christ. What do I mean by that? Christ is not Jesus' last name. Christ is his assignment. He's the anointed one. Christ means the anointed one. Jesus, the anointed one. So you can be pro-Jesus and anti-anointing. Anti-Christ is synonymous with anti-anointing. And I don't want my eyes to stray from the God of the Bible and get established with this false Christ, the God of North America, that most of our Christianity centers around. Jesus said many false Christs. Many people in the last day will be anti-anointing. I'm telling you, we've got to shift this thing. You want to know what's going to change this nation? It's not going to be trying to inspire people. It's going to be looking to transform people. And the difference between inspiration and transformation is the gospel message married with the anointing. It's word and spirit. It's wind and it's word. It's the two married together. There's been this like divide in the church where it's either one, of the, one or the other. You know, charismatics need to learn, I think, some, some scriptural integrity. At the same time, our Baptists and our others that are afraid to enter into this thing called the anointing need to say, you know what? We need to humble ourselves and open up and say there's more to this. There's no the end at the book of Acts. No the end. Why? We're still writing it. We're still writing it. We're creating revival history that I believe will be talked about for eternity. That's happening right now in Canada. What is your storyline in revival history in Canada? What's your storyline? Where do you fit in the 
storyline of heaven for what God is doing in this nation for the spirit of revival. I think we've got to ask ourselves this. Number one, what is my 30 pieces of silver? And humble ourselves enough to say if it can happen to Judas, Lord, guard my heart so that it doesn't happen to me. If it can happen to a legitimate apostle that Jesus contended and toiled in prayer with all night long, could it happen to me? I don't think we live in any kind of fear of stumbling. No, he'll keep you. The passage I just read with Judas there, at the end of the, the, the storyline, before Judas runs out and trades, becomes a traitor, Judas is with this woman and mad that Jesus is wasting money, or this woman is wasting money, a year's wage on Jesus, and he says this could have been sold and given to the poor. Something very fascinating there. It says that Judas didn't say this because he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief. Pastor, would you put anybody over your money that you knew was stealing? Jesus knew he was stealing and still let him keep the money. A little bit different than my leadership style. Jesus knew that at the end of every meeting, when people were giving resources, Judas would take that money bag and pull a little bit out and put it in his back pocket. And he would somehow justify it in his own heart. I, I deserve this because of what I'm doing. But Jesus still lets him keep the money. Revelation lives between two seemingly contradictory ideas. The Bible says that he doesn't tempt anyone to sin. So why then would Jesus let him keep the money if he was tempted? I don't think Jesus was tempting him at all. Jesus released something called mercy and something called grace. They're two different things. Mercy is you not getting what you deserve. How many of you are thankful for the mercy of the Lord? And how many of you are thankful his mercies are renewed every single morning? It's the mercy. It's, it's us getting what we absolutely do not deserve. A lot of people think grace is synonymous with mercy, and it's absolutely not. Jesus gives both. I'll give you a very clear picture of how I'd like to define the two. Let's just say, for example, my wife had a spending problem. She does not, by the way. She hates the mall. She hates shopping. Um, it's, a, it's a blessing, actually. <laughs> Because when we go, buddy, it's in and out. And none of this all day looking around for sales. No, that, that crap doesn't happen in my house. <laughs> I am blessed. Let's, yeah, I'll, I'll release that over. No. So, some of the ladies are upset. They don't want that blessing. But let's just say hypothetically, my wife did have a major addiction to spending. And let's just say, you know what? She racked up credit card after credit card after credit card. And every sale at... Dillard's or wherever else people shop, I don't know, the mall that she was at. And every week she had to do it. And I would sit her down and say, honey, we can't afford this. We cannot afford this. We've, we're missing payments on bills because of your addiction of spending. And she says, I know, but I'm going to get it together. But, but I, there's something in me that has to have that next sale. And next thing you know, years go by and she racks up debt. 
hundreds of thousands of dollars of debt that we can't pay. And now she finds herself before the judge. And my wife's four foot 11 and a half. And so that judge looks at her and she says, I'm really sorry. I don't know what's come over me. I don't have the money to pay this. Please forgive me. And that judge looks at her and says, you know what, Nikki? I don't know why I'm doing this, but I'm going to forgive you. I'm going to wipe that debt clean. What is that? That's mercy. Now, if she comes home from that court meeting and she says, honey, you won't believe what happened. That judge wiped my debt clean. I said, praise God. It's a new start. And she says, I know. There's a sale at Dillard's. I'm going to celebrate. What she had was mercy, but she didn't tap into grace. Because grace is a supernatural empowerment that causes you to be able to do what you could never do in your own strength. Judas was shown mercy, but he never took a hold of grace. I think Jesus allowed that money bag to be right in front of him. And I think Jesus was praying in the background, come on, Judas, I know there's the, grab a hold of that grace. Grab a hold of that thing, the supernatural strength that I've given you to look that thing in the face and say, no, I'm not going to touch that bag because he's empowered me with the grace of the Lord. And I think it was present and Judas ignored it. Had he overcome it, came that, he probably could have overcame the 30 pieces of silver. Mercy and grace, two different things. He gives us mercy. He gives us grace. Friend, mercy is not enough in this season. We need the grace of the Lord. The keeping grace of Yahweh. The grace that says, I can do all things. The grace that says, I am more than a conqueror. The grace that says, I'm an overcomer. The grace that says, you know what, I can look that thing in the face and not have to fear it taking me out. This idea in the church today that we've got to put all these parameters around people that struggle is crazy. It's a sign to me that we haven't grabbed a hold of the grace of God. Jesus meets a woman at the well. He's, first of all, not afraid of being alone with her. Second of all, when she gets prophesied over that she has all these men that she's been li living loose with, and Jesus has this radical encounter with her heart. You know what the Bible says she did? She went back to the men, it says, men of the city. We would, we would take a girl like that and say, the last thing you need to do is be ministering to any men. You need to take about a year. Because we don't trust and value the real pure grace of transformation that's available to us. Take the maniac, the man that was living in, naked in a tomb, cutting himself. Goes to Jesus after Jesus delivers him of a legion, thousands of demons. Goes to Jesus and begs him. And Mark, Mark's account of this says, can I come with you? Jesus said, no. Like, if there's anybody that needs a little bit extra discipleship, it's the guy that's living in a graveyard, naked, cutting himself with rocks that you can't keep bound up with chains. If there's anybody that needs to go through that class, that one-year discipleship class, it's him. Jesus was fully confident that the encounter produced a grace to transform. And this is what Jesus told them. No, you can't come to me. Go return to your friends and share with them. The good news that God did in your life. My next question is, what kind of friends does a man have that lives in a garden in a gravesite that runs around naked, cutting himself with rocks? Revelation lives in the tension between two contradicting 
ideas. There's the fear of the Lord that we need present in our heart that says, God, keep me. I want to stay so intertwined with your heart. But there's also the assurance that your grace has done just that, that I have the power of grace present in my life, that I don't have to fear what the enemy throws my way. If I can finish with this tonight before we pray, he's wanting to deliver some people of a warfare consciousness. Of a warfare consciousness. David said, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. Why? Because what you magnify, you manifest. You magnify the enemy, you're going to get the enemy. David said, magnify the Lord with me. Why? Because what I magnify, I'll manifest. What I gaze upon, I will become. I will become what I behold. And that grace, that keeping grace will keep me on the path that I need to be on. sleeping he was rolling earlier or was that him he was rolling doing somersaults during worship it was cute Father, I pray in this room that you would cause our hearts to be searched by us in this moment. Father, search our heart. God, we can say that confidently, even if there's stuff there, because we know you're a God of mercy that will do perfect heart surgery. Perfect heart surgery. You're the perfect sur surgeon. You're the great physician. God, and I pray in this room that you would, Lord, let there be a healthy, present release of the fear of the Lord. A healthy, present release of the fear of the Lord. Father, that if there would be any area in our life that we are despising the anointing of the Spirit, not leaning into the anointing of the Spirit, that you would uproot those things tonight. Abba, uproot every antichrist system and agenda that would try to plant seeds in our heart. I've watched this happen when people say manifestations of the Holy Spirit are weird. That comes from Satan. That thought comes from Satan. That's antichrist. It's anti-anointing. I believe that this weekend, there's going to be a marking in this house of a pure release of brand new, fresh manifestations of the Holy Spirit. I saw it this way. There was a convergence of anointings in this room, a, a, a convergence of streams that was moving in the heavens over this room. 
And I believe the Lord is getting ready to release what I has not seen yet in Windward. What I has not seen yet. I thank God for what he's done in your history. But we don't live in our history. There's a revival now. Revival presence now. And I heard the Lord say during worship that there is going to be a convergence of these streams with brand new, fresh manifestations. Lord, release the oil. Release the oil. Release the oil. Release the fire. Release the wind. Release the wine. The wine of your goodness. Got to uproot everything in our heart that would try to avoid it, to bypass it, but uproot everything that would prevent us from giving you full permission to invade every ounce of our life. God, we want the kingdom. We say yes to entering in the realm of the kingdom tonight. Shoo. Shoo. I hear the Lord saying over you, your cup is running over tonight. Goodness and mercy are chasing you down. You can't outrun them. Goodness and mercy are right there by your side chasing you down. And I hear the Lord saying, I am anointing your head with oil. Your cup runs over. Father, do it. Fresh, 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 fresh bread tonight for you. He has fresh bread tonight for you. Do it, God. Do it, God. Oh. Guys, I'm going to tell you, don't wait on me. It's a leaning in moment. Just lean into him. Just lean in. Lean in. Come on, why don't you help me pray? If you don't, if you don't feel a grace to lean into something specifically for you, why don't you help me pray in the Spirit for a few minutes? Maybe there's something God wants to do in someone else tonight. Ola mama mama ye deleva ye deleva ye tolovo yo kurubu yo rubu yo rumu yo rubu yo um right here you sir hands lifted up Yahweh shirt on light blue um I've seen you somewhere before I don't know I don't know if we've met but I know I've seen you um I see are you here in this place are you here in this church you're not you're here in this region you're from this region here I don't know what you do but I just see like a door hinge and that door has been kind of like swinging back and forth I have a picture of it opening and then closing and then it swings open the other direction but then it comes back and closes again and it's almost like you're there and you're almost like doing a a juggle in your steps back and forth back and forth and I hear the Lord saying that I am swinging that door open and it is coming to a stop and you're about to walk through a door of influence expansion 
prosperity, connections, resources for the dreams that God has for your future. There are things that you, I, I see it like a holding pattern, like you've been, it's another picture that I'm getting of, of like an airplane that is not permitted to land on the runway. And, and it, I, I just see the Lord saying, no, it's time to land. I'm, I'm causing the landing. I'm causing the gate change. I'm causing the new connections. I'm causing a bigger plane for you to get on because you're going further. I hear the Lord saying, I'm anointing you tonight for something unique. There's an anointing. I even see it resting on you now, an oil for this assignment in this new season. Father, we just ask that you bless him. Pour your spirit out. Let your heavens remain open over his life. And I just say yes to the promises of Yahweh over him. I say yes, Lord. Do it, Father. In Jesus' name. Alfred, I've had Korea in my heart for the last couple days. And it's, I did, did not even expect to see you tonight, but I'm glad that you're here. The last couple days I've had Korea. I've been wondering, what is this? Like, what is, because I've been so Canada focused for so long, but the last couple days, and, and I really feel like it's an assignment to pray, but I feel like God is getting ready to open things up in Korea again, where the forerunner mantle for revival has almost tried to been, like, been, had been laid down in a lot of ways through religion, through form of godliness, through things that, structures that people experience there in revival that they feel like are concrete and they've no longer been pliable. But I saw a youth movement hitting soul. I saw a young adults movement sweeping across that nation that you're gonna have such a part to play in. I really feel like that's the next part, that the only reason God even gave me that. You're gonna have a part to play in that somehow. And so Lord, do it, do it. And I know you've had ties in Korea, you've been there. I like sushi, so I might go one day. Sure. Holy Ghost. Holy Ghost. Holy Ghost fire. Oh, fire. Holy Ghost. Holy Ghost. Holy Ghost. Hey! Ho! Ho! Buddy, I feel them on you. I feel the pleasure of the Lord on you. Just the pleasure of the Lord over your life. There's a yes in your heart. Oh, and I hear the pleasure. I feel it. I feel God's heart for you. Oh, He's with you. I hear the Lord say that it's a season to dream. You've been thinking way too small. The Lord's saying, come up here to my dreams. They're much, much bigger than you've been, if you could ever imagine. I just break off small thinking in Jesus' name. Small thinking mindset has to go. And I say, come up higher. There's wisdom and revelation the Lord is going to anoint you with. To be able to see from heaven's perspective with a clearer lens in the days to come. You're going to be able to see what the Lord sees. Your heart and your prayers are going to start sounding to others impossible. But it's God's heart. Because it is possible. All things are possible. God's just looking for someone to partner with Him. And will you answer that? 
He's asking, will you partner with me in this season to dream for your family, to dream for your city, to dream for your country, to dream, to dream, to dream? When the Lord restored the captivity of Zion, we were like those who dreamed. Our hearts were filled with laughter and our tongue with singing. Who? some stuff rising in this room right now man if you guys just wait on the Lord with me I could feel just all kinds of stuff rising in here step out here I saw this picture of a a transaction I think it's through land or a house that went bad with a relative or a family member and there might have been some betrayal there at some point and you've been carrying deep offense and and may have even been robbed in a way is that you I feel I just feel that the Lord is bringing recompense to you recompense it's the season of Rosh Hashanah right now. I just even hear the Lord saying, you need to forgive and let go because I am your father. And just like Levi, I will be their inheritance, says the Lord. And I feel like the Lord is saying, I have this. Recompense is yours. Release. Let go. Let go. Every seed of bitterness in your heart right now. There's breakthrough for you tonight, but you got to deal with that. You got to let it go. You got to forgive. You got to let it go. And I see right now, the father mending I see him providing and I see you like Levi Levi wasn't given an inheritance of land they said the Lord said I will be their inheritance and the Lord says that over you I will release your inheritance because it comes from me I am your inheritance says the Lord ha next 30 days 30 days 30 days supernatural transaction hey I feel some unusual debt cancellation type stuff, man. I don't get this. This is, I think I'm tapping into probably more your anointing here. 
You know that happens when you step into another leader's authority in a place. You can actually pull on the anointing that's present. But God will do this at times because sometimes we become so familiar with our leaders when they do it. We don't recognize the weight of it. But he'll let me tap into what's here all the time. And that, and we, this is something we got to fix. But honor will be present because you don't know me. But that's what's happening. I feel like there's supernatural debt cancellation. Credit card debt. I even, I even see there's somebody in the room you're struggling to pay your mortgage. Who is that? You're struggling to pay your mortgage. Don't be afraid. Don't be embarrassed. It's like, a, it's not that you don't. It's just a struggle every single month. Don't come to me after the meeting. That's you. It's, you. it's okay. Listen, sister, I've been there. I, I, have, I know what it's like to walk that road. I, I'm hearing this. God's saying this because he wants to do something. I see cancellation coming your way. I see promotion coming your way. The Lord says, I am your God who will fight your battles for you. And right now, every spirit of the enemy that is trying to hinder prosperity over you, I declare 3 John 2 over your life. Beloved, 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 I wish above all things that you prosper and in health even as your soul prospers. And there's a release right now. Supernatural prosperity. In Jesus' name. Cancellation of debt. In Jesus' name. Hey! Hey! Listen, I got to test it. I was, this, the month of September for my family has always historically been a month that we have captured early on and, and declared it is the month of blessing. And we've done this. Every year we look forward to September for surprises. If, have you ever paid attention? The enemy likes to use, uh, we, we understand like generational curses. I don't believe that they have power when you have a revelation of the provision of the cross of Calvary. But a lot of people don't have that revelation. And so they live in the land of an of, 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 uh, uh, inferior revelation of generational curses. And the enemy would love for you to believe even curses on time. Certain loved ones that were dear to you die in a certain month, and it's every year that comes around. The enemy loves to try to put a curse on that time for you to get you into heaviness. Curses on time. How many of you know God is outside of time? He's not Kronos, He's beyond Kairos, He's beyond Horeos. He's outside of our linear time. That's why before there was ever a problem in the garden, he had already had the solution. That's why the lamb was slain before the foundations of the world. Before a problem ever was, the solution was already there because he's outside of time. We started entering into this revelation where we started noticing September is a time that we need to start declaring blessed over our lives. You know what started to happen after that? Nikki and I were married in September. We had two of our kids in September. We planted every church that we've ever pastored in September. We've had the most financial crazy miracles in September. Why? Because we believe that it's a blessed time. And I'm telling you, if you will recapture that tragedy that you experienced in your history, that the enemy tried to come in and put a standstill in time for you to always be depressed when it's Christmas time. Or always be depressed when it's Thanksgiving. No, I hear the Lord saying, 
I am stopping that curse over your life because that's not from me. I am blessing that time and it will be reversed as the greatest time in your future. Someone lost a dad around Christmas time and it's been tragic and it's been traumatic. It's been traumatic. And I say blessing over that season over your life. Blessing. Blessing. Blessing in Jesus' name over you. He's reversing that. He's reversing that. He's reversing that. I don't do this. I'm just picking up on what's presently here. I am not a prophet. I can prophesy when I get around other prophets. preaching in Brazil years ago six seven thousand people and probably one of the most you ever met been around someone that you feel like you just like they are so close to the Lord that they even could be the Lord himself that's how I felt this Brazilian pastor Davi's his name good friend of mine now I met him this he graciously let me preach in his church never met five thousand young adults there the service and and uh, glory of God begins to fall and I start just i something came over me and I started just waving my hand like this, you know, kind of like the Benny Hinn thing. And hundreds of young people started falling out in the spirit. They were falling out as there are people on the streets walking down the sidewalk. I started feeling really great. I'm like, man, my anointing has just elevated. I sat down and I'm talking to the pastor about it as all this stuff. I'm like, this is crazy. He's like, this happens here every single week. The Lord spoke to me. Don't get so arrogant. You're stepping into a mantle that is already presently here. You're just stepping into it. Just stepping into it. When you honor, you can have access to. Honor grants you access. I pay attention to the guy that brings me water. I'll sit down and talk to him a little bit longer than I will everybody else. Right? Honor grants you access. I pay attention to the people that sow into my life every month. You know what? They're the one that has my cell phone number. Honor gives you access. It sounds foolish, but it gives you access. So when we, these moments, when you're seeing people, this is how it translates in the spirit, getting prophetic words, honor what God's doing. Honor it. Honor what God's doing. It'll open it up for you too. Honor it. Somebody in the room have diabetes. You have to take a shot a couple times a day. Diabetes? Anybody? Diabetic? No? Yes? Don't come to me after the meeting. You have, you don't take a shot, but you are diabetic? Okay. I just feel like the Lord's going to heal it. Amen. I just feel faith. Can I lay my hands on you? Father, in Jesus' name. Hey! Oh, let your oil fall, Lord. Hey, we just command right now, corporately in this room, we speak to this diabetes and we say, you have to leave. We just declare every level in your blood sugar, every level in your body, equal out, equal out become normal in Jesus' name. I declare healing over your life. Healing over your life. Healing over your life. Healing over your life. A couple uh, months ago, we had a guy that was in the Canadian military in our church and he was deaf in one ear for 20 years. He's serves on our, our, our usher team now, but 
it was deaf because of firing rifles all the time you know in the canadian military so he lost hearing and, and this right ear got opened up his ear just a couple couple months ago and uh incredible incredible um, I just feel faith for those kind of things tonight. Just big, big miracles. Here's the thing. Whether it's a headache or it's a deaf ear opening up, how many of you know it's the same? It's just as easy with God. It's just as easy. It's just as easy for Jesus to forgive sins than it is for, to tell, for, as it is for him to tell a lame man to get up out of a mat and walk. just as easy how many of you are sick in your body and you need healing sick in your body all right if you're sick I want you to stand up you need healing in your body some way fashion or form this is what we do at our church this is what we're gonna do how many of you know the body by design by heaven's design is meant to heal itself meaning if I cut my arm all of my cells in my body begin to react to, my blood will start to clot around that area to heal itself. The healing process will begin. That's what the body of Christ is for. We heal one another through the power of the blood of Jesus. So if someone's standing around you, I want you just to lay your hand on them. Just lay your hand on them. And we're going to function as the body. Lay your hand on them. If, if uh, there's a couple over here, make sure everyone that's standing has someone just laying hands on them. Hey, Monday did it cool. Now, this is what I want you to do. I want you to start praying. And don't beg God to heal. Don't beg God. Command healing to come into their body. Command it. Command it. Just command it. Begging God to heal assumes that you have more compassion than He does. He has called you to heal the sick. Command it. command healing in this room by the authority of the Christ of Jesus we command right now healing in your body healing in your ears healing in your joints healing in your back migraine headaches we command to go now in Jesus name right now arthritis we command to go now in Jesus' name. Hey. Who? Who? Hallelujah. You feel like you are, uh, when you're done, ask them. Ask them if they feel anything different. Just ask them. And if something has changed, don't wait on someone to ask you. Just tell them. Tell who's praying with you. If you feel something different, tell them. If, you, if you're in the room and you feel 
notable change, notable healing. Can I see your hand? Anybody? If they haven't, pray for me. You, what, come here. Come up here. Come up here. Anybody else? If you're still praying and they say nothing's happening, pray, pray again. Tell me what happened. Stomach problems and joint problems she felt leave when they started praying for her. Come on, hallelujah. We celebrate every miracle. Every miracle. Yeah. Holy, holy, holy. I, I got a really unusual word in my spirit right now. I feel like I've got to be obedient to. I can't shake this one. I don't want to say it. I don't want to say it, but I have to. I feel like the Lord, there's a, we're praying for healing. There's, there's some deep emotional trauma that the Lord wants to heal tonight. I think there's more than one. 
something you haven't told anyone for years, maybe ever. That you are violated, touched inappropriately. I'm telling there's a grace right now. There's a grace right now for healing, for you to forgive. There's a grace right now for healing and for that heart to be completely whole once again. I don't know who this is for. I'm, I'm in, I, I really feel like it was from someone that you trusted, someone that you looked to, someone that you loved, and you've been carrying the bitterness and the pain of this your entire life. And the Lord is saying tonight, I will stop the service and make this guy up here say the hard thing. And it's not to embarrass you. It's to bring you into freedom and wholeness. You don't have to come up here. You are free if you want. But if that's you, I declare over you a freedom tonight. A wholeness tonight. A ability to forgive tonight. To lay down. Abba loves you. I don't really know what else to do with that other than that. I feel like that if that is you and I want to I ask you to maybe find your pastors or a pastor and just share that with just so that they can pray with you. I feel like there's something about you just even confessing and getting it verbally off your chest to where there's, there's, there's healing in confession. In the book of Peter it says this, confess your faults to one another so that you can be healed and even though it's that's something like that is absolutely not your fault that's not what that scripture is saying but the holding it in is your choice and that's what has to be let go so that healing can come so that real healing can come real healing yeah why don't we call the prayer team up now if you guys can and we're going to open the altars up for just anyone else it's kind of an awkward ending but it just is what it is tonight prayer team is coming up why don't we ask everyone else just to stand to your feet tonight holy 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 if there's any ministry that you need if there's anything that you're believing God for and you just want to touch and agree that's what they're here for the Bible says touch and agree touch and agree one puts a thousand to flight two puts ten thousand to flight there's something about coming to an altar as a li living sacrifice, touching and agreeing with a saint, another member of the body. He's right there in the midst, and where two are there, puts 10,000 to flight. All of the things, warfare, things that you may be dealing with, uh, strongholds. I believe that tonight's a night that it can be free. Tomorrow, we're moving into something completely different. But I felt like tonight was a real fear of the Lord heart check tonight before we enter into everything else that I believe God's going to do this weekend. Amen. Pastor Brent, I'm going to turn it back over to you. Yeah.